Before we get into the Word, I want to remind you of the meal afterwards. Stay, if you are a guest at First Baptist Church, maybe this is your first time here, uh, maybe you've been coming a while and uh, you're seeing God work in your life here, stay and, and share this meal with us. After we depart from the service, you'll go out, line up in the hallway and the foyer, uh, and we'll have to probably do a little shifting of tables and things around, so give us a few minutes to do that. Uh, we will have our blessing at the end of the hour, so when the time is, is right and we're ready, you can come on in and share that meal together. If you're at home online with us, uh, just feel free to have a meal at home and, uh, and enjoy yourself there as part of First Baptist Church. So uh, the meal's not live streamed here, so you'll just have to, have to pretend. Um, I do appreciate Cheryl so much coming and sharing some history, Tara. Our uh, church historian, Cheryl's sister, works hard at that, and both of them do a great job at helping us with that. Uh, what you also need to know is Cheryl, if you're not aware of it, Cheryl is our administrative assistant in the office, and this month celebrates one year as our administrative assistant. We're good for Cheryl. Yeah. Stop by the table if you've not already done that. See the history book she was talking about. There's also a, a book pertaining directly to First Baptist Church, pictures of former pastors, and this year, a picture of me. <laughs> Took 17 years to get a picture of me out there, but hey, that's okay. That, that's all right. I guess that everybody just wanted to get acclimated to the idea and then put it out there a little bit. We have the privilege and the blessing to be a part of a heritage of faith. Uh, I, I think new churches are wonderful, they're necessary. When you give to the Baptist State Convention, State Missions Offering, you are helping plant new churches to reach people for Christ. But there is something to be said of being a member and a part of a church family that's been here 185 years, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that heritage of faith in this community. Whether you were born in this community or God brought you here, you are just as much a part of that heritage of faith. Maybe you just showed up today. And you say, this is where God wants me to be. You're a part of that heritage of faith. We also are blessed in that heritage of faith to be a multi-generational church. And that may, seem, may not sound terribly unusual to you, but in fact, sometimes it is. Congregations change in their demographic, and sometimes younger families move away. Middle-aged families change their location, and, and churches change as, as people age. Uh, and, and we are blessed in that we have consistently been a multi-generational church. Every church is blessed in its own way if it's serving the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's multi-generational or not. But we have to take seriously and that we are stewards of every generation that God brings to First Baptist Church. And we are raising up the generations behind us. And, and there's a caution that goes along with being a multi-generational church. There are a lot of blessings that go with it. There's a caution that goes with it. And the caution is for generations not to separate out. For generations, multi-generations in the church, to be sure they are interacting, that the more seasoned believers are mentoring the younger saints, and the younger saints are looking to the more seasoned folks for wisdom and guidance, and that the younger saints as well are taking seriously their role in teaching the next generation. See, the thing about being in a multi-generational multi community of faith is there's always a generation coming behind you. Always. And you have to pay attention to that and make sure you are a good steward of that next generation that's coming up. It doesn't stop with you. 
And it's the generation that's coming along behind you as well. Uh, and we are responsible to be stewards of that next generation coming along behind us. The Bible teaches that. It was not just something that we have to talk about here. Uh, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, frequently speaks to generations in faith. And one of the reasons for that is a biblical community of faith was not just one or even two generations. A biblical community of faith was a multi-generational community of faith. The Bible never even considers that there might have been a group over there meeting of one age and a group over there meeting of another age and a group over there meeting of another generation. No, they were a multi-generational congregation and community of faith every time they met. It's a biblical picture of a community of faith to be multi-generational. God has blessed us in that. As we ret return to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning and go to, the, go to your Bible, find Hebrews 11 and verse 20, we're going to see a responsibility and a joy that we have in passing along that heritage of faith. Now, if you've been with us in this study, you know that the writer of, of Hebrews chapter 11 is chronicling the faith. Faith that trusts God for what we cannot see. Faith that is comp with confident assurance in the future and God working. He is chronicling that faith through great leaders and, and our heritage of faith. So way back in the book of Genesis, we looked at Enoch uh, and we've looked at uh, Noah. Uh, we've looked at Abraham and Sarah. We've looked at others, Abel as well, along the way. And he's continuing to chronicle this. Last week we talked about Abraham again. And this morning we're going to read just a few verses in which in rapid fire succession, uh, our author gives us a picture of faith passed down through the generations. Faith that trusts God for what we cannot see. Faith that leaves a legacy, a heroic legacy of faith. And we're going to ask and answer the question, how can we bless the next generation by faith? How can we bless the next generation by faith? And like I said, every generation sitting in here should ask and answer that question because there's a generation coming up behind you. There's a generation that you can feed into, that you can invest in, and every generation can bless the next generation. How do we do that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Find with me then Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20, and this is what the Bible says. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Each of these verses represents the next generation. We, went, we saw Abraham last week. Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob also had sons that included Joseph. And Joseph had sons not named here, but he would leave a legacy of faith to those sons as well. So we're following that legacy of faith. Now, as we read this, you may have noticed uh, terms that stood out. The one we're most familiar with is by faith. Each action, each, each uh, promise, each heritage staked in the ground along the way is an action of faith. They did these things by faith. We've learned in this series that's referring to faith that trusts God for what you cannot see. It's believing God that this is not all there is, that there is more to come. And that's the heritage of heroic faith that these generations passed on to the next generations in the Bible. You also picked up on the repetition of the term bless. 
bless. Isaac blessing his sons, Jacob blessing his grandsons. And the word is not used of Joseph, but it is used of his actions, as we'll see in just a minute. Uh, the Bible tra- has a, a few different words in the ancient languages that we would translate as bless or blessing into English. And this particular word gives us our English word eulogy. Uh, it means to speak well of someone. That's why we have a eulogy at a funeral. And hopefully at your funeral, someone will speak well of you. There'll be a eulogy. That's what it means now and, and what it meant in the first century in the time the book of Hebrews was written. But it had grown from another word. And that other word that, that came down through the ages that was often translated as bless meant to strengthen your arm. To strengthen your arm. It pictured a person who was facing a, a metaphorical battle. And in that battle, whatever it is they face, whatever future the future might hold, they're starting to wane and to wilt and to weaken in battle. And then someone comes alongside them and strengthens their arm, encourages them, gives them hope, says, look to the future. God is not finished yet. This is not all there is. And blesses them with insight of faith to trust God for what they cannot see. So here the term means that each generation passed down a blessing of faith that strengthened the next generation, that would be recorded and remembered by each generation. As we see it transpire with each of these characters in the book of Genesis, and the book of Hebrews simply summarizes what's detailed in the book of Genesis, they also would speak into the life of the next generation, words of faith. Now, there's no magic to this. It doesn't mean they created reality. But it does mean that even in the ancient days, they understood what you and I know to be true, but often forget that what you say and preach and teach and proclaim to the next generation will shape their lives. And when they would bring those children and grandchildren in and they would put their hands on them and they would bless them very physically and very literally to strengthen their arm, to speak well of them, they knew that those young men and those women have been through tough times, difficult situations, maybe on the brink of giving up, but they invested in them hope and grace and truth. Strengthening their arm to move forward in faith reminding them to trust God for what they could not see. That's what every generation of First Baptist Church of Shalom should do, must do for the next generation. And this morning I want us to consider together three ways that we can bless the next generation by faith, bless the next generation for the future. First, we can bless the next generation by faith, we can bless them by giving them grace for the future. Give the next generation grace for the future. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now, I don't know how, how familiar you are with uh, the biblical history and the lives of Jacob and Esau, but they were hardly perfect young men with good character. They were twins, Esau born first, Jacob then coming second. Esau... Uh, was a man who lived in the moment. The Bible pictures Esau as being self-centered. He had no perspective of vision for the future, had no concept of what might happen next. He was only concerned with satisfying himself today. 
Jacob, on the other hand, was a strategist and a visionary with great skill and perspective for the future, but decided to use that skill, that vision, that strategy for evil and not for good. He's a deceiver and he's a liar. And when you put the two together, you have an episode such as took place in their lives when Jacob tricked his brother Esau into giving him his birthright. Esau came in from hunting, was famished and hungry, and Jacob convinced him to give him his birthright for a bowl of soup. For a bowl of soup, Esau gave away his future in his family and regretted it the rest of his life, was bitter the rest of his life, hated his brother Jacob for it. So did Isaac bring them in? Did their father bring them in and say, you guys need to apologize to each other. You're terrible people. You've had a terrible past. Did he bring them in and just point to their failures and their flaws and their sins? No. Notice the way it's written. He blessed them concerning the future. This is not all there is, guys. He blessed them and gave them grace and forgiveness. He said, tomorrow you can be different. You are part of my name. You are part of my heritage. You can grow from this and move forward. He gave them grace for the future. We always have a choice, don't we? With every generation behind us, every failure in the family, every flaw in your own life, you can park yourself in your problem, you can park yourself in your past, or you can say, God has given me grace for the future. What it means to impart to the next generation. Grace. To say, I forgive you. To say, God forgives you. To say, let's pray together. To say, let's plan together for a better future. To say, this is not all there is. Trust God for what comes next. By faith, we can bless them with something as simple as grace for the future. The Bible teaches that when we sin, often there are consequences. And we have to live with those consequences. Sometimes consequences don't go away, and forgiveness, even, even God's forgiveness, doesn't always erase those consequences. But right behind that, God reminds us there's grace, forgiveness for the future. Don't live in your past. Don't live in your past. Be blessed for the future. Don't you love the story that Cheryl told that woman of faith who stepped up after the fire and said, this is an opportunity to build a new church. I wonder if the rest of the con congregation wanted to haul out the two guys that had decided to stoke the fire. But instead they said, this is a time for grace. Let's go forward. Second, a second way we can bless by faith the next generation is give them perspective for the future. Perspective for the future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that Joseph brought his two sons, Jacob's grandsons, into the room with Jacob. And Jacob, knowing he was dying, he put his hands on them and he blessed them. And one of the things he told them was, you are part of this family. You are a heritage of faith. You carry on this name to
to the next generation. And then as we read it there in, in the summary in the book of Hebrews, he worshiped, and we have this odd statement that he did it leaning on the top of his staff. So the first thing Jacob does for his grandsons is he brings them in and he reminds them of their heritage of faith, their bloodline, their role in this family. And then he worships while they're in this presence. He praises God. The term translated bless, as we said, eulogy, speaking good words of someone, could also be translated as praise, that is to say, commending someone, praising them for their work, giving them an attaboy or an girl. Uh, so it's instructive to see in this passage that Jacob has balance, Jacob has perspective, Jacob knows who should be worshipped. As well as sometimes getting stuck in the past, occasionally we get stuck in the present and think it's all about me. It's all about me. And if we pass that along to the next generation, you know what we do? We raise generations of selfish Christians. And it can happen because the inclination of every human being, every human being, before and after we become Christians, our inclination is always this first great sin. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about who I am. I should be praised. I should be honored. I should get what I want. So Jacob gave him a bit of perspective. He said, yeah, I'm blessing you guys. Yeah, you're going to be great men. Yeah, you're in a great family. But let's worship God. Because it's not about you. It's about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. Believers, listen, we do tend to waffle between those two things. Be very, very careful when you find yourself passing down to the next generation. Well, if you don't get your way, you should quit. Well, it's really all about you. You should be comfortable. You should be convenienced and never inconvenienced. Because we live in a culture, that's what they teach. And it's seeped in more and more and escalated more and more as time has gone on. So now we have chaos in our culture. You know why? Because everybody says, it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about who I am. But the believer in Christ knows it's about God. We worship together as generations. Not just, in, not just worshiping in the same room, but together we worship the same God. Because it's about Him. Then we have that odd note. He worshiped leaning on his staff. You remember the story of Jacob? He goes from being a liar and a deceiver to having to flee his homeland. And once he fled his homeland, he had an encounter with God at night. He wrestled with God. That's when God changed his name to Israel. But Jacob wrestled with God through the night. And at the end of it, God wounded him in his hip. He had a dislocated hip. So the Bible says he limped for the rest of of his life. But the Bible also says in the book of Genesis that when the night ended and he had wrestled with God and God permitted him to live, the thought that came to Jacob's mind was awe and the reality that he had met God 
face to face. And God had permitted him to live. The thought changed his life. The thought suddenly came to his mind. He suddenly had the realization, he's God and I'm not. And it changed everything for Jacob. And any time for the rest of his life, if Jacob had to describe God's grace and impart perspective on the difference between me and God, he would say something like, I would imagine, look at my limp and let me tell you my story. And there he is as he blesses his kids, his grandchildren, giving them perspective, worshiping God, holding up that staff and it holding him up and saying, never forget, God is God and you are not. And you're here because of him and his grace. Let's have that widespread perspective that says there is more to this than just me, my needs, my wants, my desires. There's more to this than just me. I want to see what God's going to do through me. I want to be a part of this church family for, and my family for generations to come as God works through us to do great things for Him. It's not about me. It's about Him. And I want to see Him work. And if people ever wonder why you follow Christ, tell them to look at your limp. Because there was a time you needed Jesus, and he saved you from your sins. He gave you the grace you did not need, and in the, or could not find for yourself, but you needed. And in that moment, your perspective changed. You realized it's not about me. It's about Jesus and what he's done for me on the cross. So to bless the next generation, give them grace for the future. Give them perspective for the future. Remember, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus and what he wants. Then last, to bless that next generation, let's give them hope for the future. Let's give them hope for the future. At the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph is dying. And he pulls his brothers and his families in together and he says, I'm dying. But this is not all there is. You might remember the story of Joseph. He was actually taken to Egypt when he was 17 years old, sold into slavery by those same brothers. <laughs> then the Pharaoh learned of his great skills and gifts that were given to him by God. And the Pharaoh elevated him into places of prominence and eventually a key leader in the whole kingdom. And that's how he lived out the next 93 years of his life. When he was 110 years old, he was on his deathbed, brought his family in. And this is what he said. Gentlemen, this is not all there is. You know why I know that? Because God promised us a home, and it's not Egypt. God promised us a home, and this is not it. We are not home yet. Whatever's happening to, you, happening to you in Egypt, just remember, you're not home yet. This is not all there is. And just to confirm that, he said, I'm going to give you some instructions for when you do go home. I want my bones to be buried back home. Not here in Egypt. This is not my home. I want you to take my bones back home and bury me there. And that's exactly what happened a long time later. He didn't know how long it would be. But he actually told his family, God will send a deliverer to take us home. And that's where I want to go. You know how you impart hope 
to the next generation, remind them, we're not home yet. Don't get too comfortable. This is not all there is. God has more for us, more for us here, more for us in the future. And however bad Egypt looks, just remember, this is not all there is, and you're not home yet. Trust God for what comes next. Don't miss the opportunity to lead the next generation in every stage of faith and to impart to the next generation the solid belief that God is at work, to trust God for what comes next. That means sometimes not getting too comfortable. It means all the time not believing we're at the center of it all, that it's all about us. It means leaving the past behind and, and focusing on the future. It means trusting God for what comes next. September 27th, just past, this is past week, uh, was the anniversary of a key moment in American history, but a lot of people never learn about this anymore. It was one of the true pivotal moments in our history. It took place September 27, 1779, when the Continental Congress brought John Adams in, and they told him that they conferred on him the authority to go back overseas and barter the treaty that would, have, that would become the statement of our release, the treaty that would release the colonies from the British Empire. The Treaty of Paris that says, even today, the colonies are independent states and America is an independent nation. The thing was, John Adams had just come home from Europe. And it was a long way to go and took a long time to get there back then, an arduous journey. But even so, this brilliant believer in Christ, founder in the founding generation, said, of course, I will go. And he wanted his sons to go with him, Charlie and John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams at the time was 12 years old. He had been with his dad on the previous trip, had just gotten home and did not want to go. He just said, I don't really want to go back. And he wrote his mother, Abigail Adams, a letter. Told her, I, I, don't, I don't want to go. And she wrote him back and made this famous statement in that letter to John Quincy Adams, 12 years old, himself brilliant, and everybody knew it. At 12 years old, he was applying to Harvard, by the way. And she said, son, these are the times a genius wishes to live. She said, it's not in living a tranquil life on these shores. It's not in a calm life that character is formed. In other words, son, don't miss it. You're about to be part of something great. You might be inconvenienced to get there. It might be a little uncomfortable to get there. It might take a little bit of time, but keep your face forward. Pay attention because Every generation will look back on this moment and say, I wish I could have seen that. I wish I could have been there. And because of her words, John Quincy Adams went on an arduous journey. They nearly drowned. The ship nearly sank at sea. They had to land on the other side of the continent. They had to march across what they thought was a land they wouldn't even have to be on. They finally arrived. And four years later, in September... 1893, excuse me, 1783, something like that. 
They signed the Treaty of Paris. And John Quincy Adams, 16 years old, would later, later write the epitaph for his mom and his dad. And you can feel in the words of that epitaph that he was so glad he was there. As he said, this is the man that made history, that never gave up on the cause of freedom. And I was there when it happened. That's what it's like to be part of a legacy, isn't it? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God wants us to do. To every generation in this room and online, have you been sitting back with your hands in your pockets saying, let somebody else sign up and serve. I'm fine. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be uncomfortable. Have you been saying, well, my past is too checkered. My past is, is unclean. God can't use me. Have you been saying, well, it's, it's really about me. It's, it's what I want. And, and, and I'll do what I want. Have you been saying, I don't think I can see past this moment. I'm not sure if there's hope out there. I'm not sure what comes next. God will give you grace. God will give you perspective. God will give you hope. The question is, what are you passing on to the next generation? Because listen, you are passing on to the next generation some kind of legacy. Whatever age or stage in life you are in this room, you're passing on to the people that are watching you they're listening to you. They know if you're present. They know if you're absent. They know you say you're part of this church, but they don't know you. And every generation behind us, our children, our teenagers, our grandchildren, they are watching us be the community of faith. What are they learning? What are they learning? Is today today you step up and say, you know what? I want to pass along to that next generation a firm and solid conviction in the God that I know, the God who saves, the God who gives grace, the God who is God, the God that I worship. I want them to know him and I want them to see him work through the great work of the people of God at First Baptist Church. I'm not going to sit back and watch. I want to participate too and see God work. Where does God find you this morning in this legacy of faith? I'm going to pray for us believers. I'm going to pray for you if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to trust Jesus as your Savior as well. And I pray God is doing a work in our hearts. With the time we have left on planet Earth, let's be sure we are stewards of the next generation, raising people up to continue this legacy of faith. Heavenly Father, we sit in this room, we sit at home, we're in a comfortable place with air conditioning, good opportunities. But most of all, Father, we're in a heritage of faith, God, and it's what we do with it that matters next. Father, do forgive us of our sins, God. Give us opportunity, Father, to impart to the next generation blessings in words and blessings in actions. Let us show them, God, uh, the grace, the perspective, the hope that we have had and that we can impart that to them as well. God, I pray for every generation represented here and at home. Father, I pray we would look right behind us and see that generation coming up. 
And we would ask ourselves, how can we mentor, help, and bless them in these days ahead? We pray for our children, our grandchildren, God, living and growing up in a world full of chaos and sin. God, I pray we would, we would take seriously a stewardship of faith to raise them up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace. And Father, I pray for each one here and at home, God. If you are showing us anything in our lives, God, that hinders us from trusting you, Father, cleanse that. We confess that. And we look forward, God, to, to trusting you for, for what comes next. Father, instill us with hope. Remind us of grace. Give us a perspective, God, on our situation and in our moment in this history, Father, that we would follow Christ. God, I pray for those who need Jesus as their Savior today. Maybe they're in-house. Maybe they're at home. Maybe they just need to rededicate their lives to Christ today. Father, I pray this prayer aloud, and God, for them in faith, I would ask God, if you, if you put it on their hearts, they would pray this to you, to trust Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I can't save myself. I have perspective now. I know what you've done for me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, and you have raised him from the grave, and by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, I can be saved by faith. So today, Jesus, I trust you fully and completely. Forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. And Father, I pray we would all faithfully follow Christ in whatever generation, whatever situation we find ourselves today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we